0: Ahead and uh, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two. Uh, Before we jump in, I just want to thank everybody that is in attendance at this conference. What we're getting to do via relationships is something that's absolutely unique. I mean, I remember walking into a conference 2016 at the very end of my rope looking for brotherhood, looking for partnership, and people surrounded me. And that's continued to this day. I've received encouragement and prophetic words. So thank you not just for attending, but thanks for being who you are. And most people would absolutely kill to have just a handful of people that care about them, not a whole movement and a whole uh, just extension of relationships. So thank you so much for being here. Um, My family and I, we absolutely love the theater. We have any theater fans out? In the audience. All right. Well, it's a little mixed room, but that's fine. Uh, uh, but four of my five children actually are in theater, so the Rogers love to be on the stage. They love to use their hands a lot. So jazz hands, you know. So we we'll just give you a few cues while you're out there. Uh, but because we love the theater, one of the things that kind of came to the forefront in 2015 that swept the nation was the musical Hamilton. We absolutely love Hamilton. Um, I love it for a lot of reasons. I love it because it's creative. I love it because uh, artistically it is absolutely imaginative, out of the box. It tells the story of Alexander Hamilton and the birth of our nation and the sacrifice and this idea of liberty and this idea of justice, but it kind of holds it out in with the reality that, that, that from the very beginning that that promise of America was not held out to all people, right? And so I think we have made tremendous progress over the last 250 years, but if anything that we've learned over the summer, right, when we had basically, you know, everybody was glued to their screens, we saw um, just the, the senseless murder of um, Ahmaud Arbery by people that said he looked suspicious, right? That on the tale of Breonna Taylor and uh, just her tragic death. And then no one could hide because COVID was all around and we saw the horrific nine-minute video of the death of George Floyd. And so in this time and in this place it's not a, an area that we can just close our eyes to and it's in moments like these that we need to look to God and we need to look to his word and have him in, just inform how we actually live out life in this present age and so uh in the musical Hamilton there there's a song called the Schuyler sisters and I don't know do you want me to sing it to you <laughs> Angelica Schuyler. So I am not a, I am not one to sing but she says look around look around. <laughs> How luck All right, not bad. How lucky we are to be alive right now, right? And she's talking about the American Revolution. History is happening right before us, right? Well, that that exhortation is what I think is fitting for this cultural moment. How lucky we are right now to be alive in the midst of this polarized culture, in the midst of all of this racial tension, we have an opportunity to do and to build something different than any of the history of the world has ever known. Like people are always looking for what the new normal is going to be inside of COVID and what's the church going to look like? Well, what if God is making us into the kinds of people that he is. Like what if he's making us into a group of people that have something prophetic to say in a world that's polarized? What if God is making us into a prophetic people that can speak into the uh, racial tension that exists inside of this country? And I think that's exactly what this is about. And so for us to be a prophetic kind of people, it means... First of all, that we plant churches and strengthen churches, which we are absolutely about, but it's a specific kind of church, right? It's a multicultural church, right, that speaks prophetically to the culture. One, because that's what the moment demands, but two, because that's what God has designed. That is his intention. So we're going to look at uh, a few verses from Ephesians chapter two. I'm going to read verses 14 to 17, and we're going to ask God to make us fertile ground and um, we're gonna pray in a moment and I want you to I want you to think about you. I want you to think about your heart, I want you to think about your relationships, I want you to think about your church. Um, because in this polarized culture, I mean, if you hear anything political from me, it's not me, okay? It's just the the filter that is on this present age. So we're gonna try to dig into scripture, but we want to make some real concrete application that moves us forward so we can be fruitful in the way that we live out life together as churches. So Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 14 to 17. It says, For he himself, and that's Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself One new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off, and he came and preached peace to those who were near. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you can do better than that. All right. All right, Lord. Thank you so much for just an opportunity to gather before your word and, and to be addressed by your word and I just pray that you would help our hearts to be open, that you would speak, that you would remove any stumbling blocks that I might say, and that you would remove um, just the blinders that so easily creep into moments like these that want to steal joy. I pray that we plant seeds today that will bear fruit for generations to come, that it will shape how we live and do life and ministry together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're going to talk about how do we make a culture that is conducive to planting and strengthening multicultural churches. So, first, culture is made up of a lot of things, but the, on a convictional level, it's made up of the stories that we believe, what we place our hope in. It's a doctrinal conviction that this is not some optional extra that we would get around to maybe one day after our systems are in place or when we have more money in the budget. But actually, this is part of the DNA of the gospel, that Jesus Christ... Came into the world to kill the hostility that existed between us and God, and that's what you find in Ephesians two one through nine. It's this this vertical element of the gospel, but then it, God's pleased that that actually has horizontal, or I mean, uh, horizontal effects as we continue to live out life in this present age. So God wants to kill hostility that exists between us and Him, but He also wants to level the playing field and bring people together under the grace of God and the lordship of Jesus from every every tribe every tongue every language and every nation that's not just a good idea that's the story of the entire bible from when god called genesis i mean god called abraham in genesis chapter 12 he said i'm going to i want to make you a blessing to the nations and the answer and the fulfillment of that was Jesus, right? So from the very beginning, his view was to bless all kinds of people. And then we fast forward into the New Testament. And he wants to make them into one body so that we sing one song as one people of the triumph of the Lamb. And at the end of the story, we are all gathered around the throne singing, Worthy is the Lamb. And so the main thing I want to look at this morning is... God's answer to the hatred and the division of the world that exists right now is the church. The church is God's plan A to address the racial injustice that exists in our world. And there is no plan B, right? So there's a sense that God is meant to build into us such diversity, such grace, such peace because of Jesus that the world looks in and it begins to ask questions. What is it that they have? What hope do they share that brings such diverse groups of people together? This is not an optional extra. This is the design and the plan of God. Listen to this quote from Jamar Tisby in his book, The Color of Compromise. He says, Though the work of racial justice is difficult and will truly never end in this life... God has provided a colorful portrait of the goal. In a cosmic case of beginning with the end in mind, God pulls back the curtain of eternity to provide a future glimpse of glory. Revelation 7-9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation Every tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. In that heavenly congregation, we finally see the culmination of God's gathering of a diverse people unified by faith in Jesus. This is a picture of perfection that has been bequeathed to believers, not as a distant reality. So we need to hear that. That's not just the future, it's not just a distant reality that we can merely long for. Instead, the revelation of the heavenly congregation provides a blueprint and a motivation to seek unity right now. The church needs the carpenter from Nazareth to deconstruct the house that racism built and make a house for all nations. So this heavenly vision has been signed, sealed, delivered, paid for by Jesus, this is where we are all heading, this is our inheritance. The only question for us as the people of God is, will we pursue that vision in our generation, right? Will we plant the seeds today that make it grow tomorrow? So that's the doctrinal piece that I know that lives inside of so many of us, where we long to see the church more reflect the beauty of Jesus through diversity, right? So that's that the, what we believe, forms culture, but then also um, our identity as the people of God. Pastor Alan Scott says the story that we live in is the story that we live out. Sean did such a great job reminding us of the power of story. So if we're going to live in that story of Revelation chapter 7, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, that gives us a particular identity, right? There's tons of identities in Scripture. But if we're going to pursue this vision, two of them that we must embrace is the one of being peacemakers and reconcilers, right? So so if we're going to pursue this together, that means that we don't get to kind of just stand by on the sidelines, right? We don't have the privilege of just taking a step back and watching and hoping everything works out one day. We actually have the job and the commission by God to bring, apart, bring together people that are naturally separated. And the world loves to separate people by socioeconomic, Status and gender and race and all of those things. But the people of God are meant to bring those diverse groups of people together. So we are called to be peacemakers and reconcilers. So we want to move people towards one another. If we're going to be effective peacemakers and reconcilers, there is one key value I think that stands out above all other things And that's that we need to learn to listen with empathy and compassion, right? Before we ever say a word, right, we must walk a mile in our brothers' and sisters' shoes, right? And I say this as a white man who pastors a mostly white church in a room filled with mostly white people, right? if we do not hear the cries of injustice, we do not reflect the heartbeat of our God. Right? He is attuned to the cries of suffering. And we're not just called to be cold and detached. We actually enter into the story and we draw near. If What absolutely wrecks me about this whole conversation, Barna put out a study this summer. The people that are The least likely to engage in matters of racism and racial justice is the church. Why is that? It's exactly what Brian was talking about in the talk before, right? Because we've been more discipled by Fox News and CNN than we have been by the word of God. So we need to move forward towards people with empathy and compassion we need to hear the cries of injustice, and the church ought to be the safest, most open-eared, uh, open-hearted people on the planet, right? So we want to listen with empathy and compassion. Um, I just want to tell you a story about me and my friend Henry. He couldn't be here. His wife, Sheree's right there. Um, Henry is a black man that leads a gospel community inside of our church, and we have had numerous conversations, right? Some of them really tense, some of them uncomfortable, all of them beautiful, all of them bearing fruit, and Henry has been so patient to walk with me. Help me to gain understanding, and he's actually leading a, a group inside of our city where he's bringing black leaders in the city and white leaders in the city, so that we can have real conversations about what's going on inside of our community. Now, I don't know where you're from, but in Jonesboro, Arkansas, that looks a lot like Revival, right? Because we're pulling together and we're listening. And the only way to really do that is by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We identify with the stories of other people because Jesus identified with us, right? He took on flesh and he pursued us. So empathy doesn't allow us to sit on the sidelines. Empathy actually pushes us towards relationships and away from individualism. When we, are def- you know, when we are defined by the narrative of the media, then we are going to be polarized, we're going to be individualistic, we're going to put up silos. But when we are discipled by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will be brokenhearted and hopeful at the same time. And that's what God is inviting us into. we have to acknowledge that our experience as white people is different than that of our African-American brothers and sisters. I get the benefit of the doubt every single room that I walk into. Listen to this from Eric Mason. He says, most African-Americans have at least two life-altering experiences that are burned into their memory. The moment that they realized they were black and the moment they realized it was a problem. Every single conversation that I have had with my African-American brothers and sisters has been defined by the reality that not just they are judged by the color of their skin, but as they live life, the color of their skin is a liability. And so people consciously, you know, most people are aware of conscious racism, you know, the Nazis that are hanging up the signs. And and most of us can kind of release ourselves because we're not doing that. But, But what they have communicated to me over and over again is the reality of the subtle, like, clutching your purse a little bit tighter and locking your car doors and being watched more closely in a store. Not because of who they are, not because of the content of their character, just by the simple fact of the color of their skin. And listen, all of them have had heartbreaking experiences with law enforcement. Not one of them have had any record of criminal misplacement or any misdeeds and they all have had harassment by the police now so I only bring attention to that not because that makes all law enforcement bad but because that has been their experience and that has been their story you know what happens every time some, one of these high-profile cases are on TV and on the news? It absolutely opens up that wound. So we need to be aware as we're walking together with people that when those kinds of stories hit the news that our African-American brothers and sisters are suffering. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us when one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. Is that the story that we are living out? The story that you live in is the story that you live out. Finally, not just the stories that we believe. What makes up a culture is practices. So how do we begin to walk this out together? The first practice I want to bring to your attention is hospitality, right? I mean, it is the gift and the privilege of believers uh, my friend, uh, well, he's not my friend, but I read his book, so he feels like he's friend. But, you know, they all feel like friends. But Brian Laritz says that change happens around the dinner table, right? The way the southern part of the United States, which is absolutely scarred with racism and, I mean, just monuments all over cities in the south just celebrating, right, the Civil War and all of those things, um, the way that that story and that narrative changes is around the dinner table, right? The next generation is watching and as we extend hospitality and as we listen and as we enter into the story, um, that narrative begins to change. Not only is this something that we're called to do, but listen, my discipleship is absolutely incomplete if I don't have relationships with people that are different than me. Like if we... If we build churches on the homogeneous principle, which was what the 80s and 90s taught us to do, like just go where there's people like you so you can gather a core group and get some money. Like if you do that, if we build that kind of church, I mean it's absolutely going to just look like us, right? We build churches that look like us and vote like us and sound like us, it's going to look like us. But if we go and very intentionally build churches that are multicultural and multiethnic, it's going to actually begin to look like Jesus because Jesus is the only person that can build that kind of church. Right? I mean, I don't know what your city's like, but mine still has a dividing wall of hostility. It's called Johnson Avenue. And on this side of the tracks, like this is where the white people live. And on this side of the tracks is where the black people live. And Jesus came to abolish all of that. But that begins to become abolished. It's not going to happen naturally because that dividing line is still there. It happens around the dinner table, right? So we want to very intentionally pursue relationships with one another. Another thing that we want to be able to do is uh, change also happens as we become learners, right? At the very core of being a disciple of Jesus is being a learner. You need to learn the story of racism in this country, right? Slavery, Jim Crow laws, how all of those things have affected the church. Not just because we want to bring up old memories and wounds... Because this is what redemption actually looks like, right? Like if God wanted to redeem the story of the United States of America, it would be helpful to know where we've gone astray. So we want to be learners. Not only the the history of racism in the United States, but listen, I know a lot of you grew up in the South or the Midwest. Racism is part of all of our stories, right? It's not just this isolated thing that lives off somewhere else. It affected many of the homes that are in this room, right, where we were taught to hate much more quickly than we were taught to love. And so we need to learn and acknowledge how those things have affected how we walk out life in this present age. So we want to be learners. We want to learn the story of the United States. We want to learn our own story. And we also want to learn the story of racism inside the church. At best, where I live, the church has been apathetic towards issues of race. At worst, it's been complicit and actually put up walls to separate people. So we need to understand that. For those things to be able to come down, we've got to understand where we have actually come from. So we want to learn the stories of racism. And one of the things that we've done in our church, we... Did this wonderful book by Latasha Morrison called Be the Bridge, and it taught us what reconciliation looks like on the ground. And there was a specific section where we all went around and explained our own experience of racism that lived inside of us and then that we've witnessed in our community so that we could go forward. And that helps us to be reconcilers. All of these things are invitations from God as we listen empathetically and we learn that actually then positions us to speak right this is very similar to what brian says listen to james chapter 3 after we've listened and we've heard with compassion then we can speak with wisdom james 3:17 says but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's who God has actually called us to be. So we want to be learners. We want to be reconcilers. We want to be people that speak. And then all, I mean, one of our core values is we want to be a people of prayer. And so there's, there's two kinds of prayers that I think are applicable in this moment. One, uh, we're not, most of us aren't very good with, and that's the, the reality of lament, Right? Um, We should be able to look around the room. There is numerous evidences of grace in this room, right? But there is some diversity that's missing from the room. That, That should grieve us on some level. We should lament that and pray in hope that God would remedy that. So we want to lament the areas of injustice lament the lack of fruit that we've had in our own lives, but then we want to pray in faith that God would actually tear down the walls of hostility and make us a group of fruitful people that plant and strengthen multicultural churches.